The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Well, it's Monday morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawkbox on CNBC. These are your headlines. Wall Street ending a volatile week last week in the red with the countdown now on to Wednesday's Fed decision. This amid a host of other high-profile central bank action this week. Top US and Chinese officials hold candid, substantive and constructive talks in a bid to ease tensions between the two superpowers, whilst the IMF calls on Beijing to boost domestic consumption. Instacart raises its IPO range, valuing the online grocery delivery firm at up to $10 billion as the group looks to take advantage of improved conditions after arms blockbuster listing. Masayoshi-san is reportedly eyeing up an investment in OpenAI as part of a slew of investments in artificial intelligence, with the SoftBank CEO cashed up after the ARM IPO. And strikes against Detroit's big three automakers grind into a fourth day, with no deal on the horizon as the White House prepares to send a team to the city in a bid to break the impasse. It is all about central bank meetings this week, the Fed in focus, but also the Bank of England and the Bank of Japan later on this week. So effectively, as we uh, take a look at these big central banks, five of those overseeing the 10 most heavily traded currencies. Uh, This is what we're watching this week. So it could be market moving in terms of the detail we're seeing as we wrapped up the Friday trade. Cautious, as you can see, the markets are impacted by that strike we're just talking about in the uh, auto stocks in particular. We saw the fatigue coming into those names amid concerns about the strike impact and what that could do to some of the earnings for the autos. So a reversal across the board is what we witnessed. Eight tens down on the Dow, 1.2 off the S&P for the Nasdaq, 1.5% in the red and enough to really impact the trading pattern for the week. We saw for the Dow just very slim gains as we factored in this red ink, only up by about a tenth of a percent falls for the S&P for that tune and a little bit coming off the Nasdaq for the trading week. So it was a, a downbeat one as we wrapped up the trade. For the dollar trade this week, this is how we're setting up. Still around a, about a, a six-month top is what we're watching on the foreign exchange markets on that US dollar trade. And if we uh, just uh, show you the sterling trade this morning, we are back below the 124 handle. That said, it is uh, going to be a key week around the Bank of England and whether we see rates hiked again from here. The softening uh, trade around pound, though, has been a supportive factor for the FTSE. Fairly terrific week playing out last week. Uh, gains there of more than 3%, thanks to in part to the sterling trade. Euro dollar, it is a 106.68 level we're seeing also managing to bounce morning session but uh, some of the interpretation last week is that the ECB after its hike is now potentially done on those rate hikes just putting a little bit of a headwind into euro trades at this stage dollar yen we're watching it closely this week some signaling could be forthcoming from the Bank of, uh, Bank of Japan around what they're going to do with rates so the market watching that in terms of JGBs closely we're down a tenth on the dollar trade and dollar yuan is looking a little bit 
firm this morning, up about a tenth of a percent. Stimulus out of China, though, largely watched at this stage too. And it's impacting other trades. Let's look at the commodities trade, WTI and Brent this morning. This is how oil stacks up. It is firmer. We're at 91 and a half almost on WTI, a bounce of three quarters of a percent and just shy of 95 on Brent. So both of these trades marching north. We are shut out of Japan today. No market trade there. It's a holiday, but we do have a trade across on the Chinese markets. It is a fairly flat day playing out for the Shanghai Composite. Hong Kong stocks rewinding again. A huge focus on what's uh, taking place in those big property stocks around payments. Uh, there are concerns around uh, some of these and whether they can in fact meet payments as uh, again we continue to see pressure on that property market. So Hong Kong stocks are seeing some selling as a result. Australia down six tenths of a percent weekday playing out there. To what we're seeing on the opening calls in Europe, I mentioned the strength on FTSE and that is the one we're watching as we get going this week. We saw uh, very strong gains here uh, to the tune of 3.1% uh, of the trading week. It is the fourth positive week in a row. The bounce we're seeing are thanks in part to surging commodities. Another big factor underpinning the FTSE trade at this stage. So uh, we're watching uh, the Bank of England, of course, this week. Zetradax, slim arrow to the upside and slim arrow to the downside for the French market, but uh, patchy trade is anticipated according to these uh, trades early on on opening calls and to U.S. futures early on. I mentioned uh, it is a key week if we take a look at those boards from the United States. You can see a little bit green moving on to the charts, but it was noticed uh, just how low the VIX was. It was wrapped up the trade. So uh, bouncing back into positive territories are how the trade is seen this morning, Steve. Um, lovely. Well, I'm just sorry. I'm just pouring through some sock gin. Uh, we've got Charlotte coming up at 6:30. Actually, I, I won't go into too much detail about that now. But there's there's some fascinating stuff in there. Uh, a lot about remuneration and, uh, and where that uh, is. How are you? How, how are you? Did you have a good weekend? Yes, do you? I haven't seen you for a few days. I know. Yeah, I know. We've both been. Uh, Social butterflies today. Yeah. I, I, I took a leaf out of your book for once and actually did some stuff but rather than just hanging out with the family at home. I love it. Yeah, yeah no, I know. I can't take it. You as a result. I do not. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did do the right thing last night and I didn't stay up and watch the rugby last night. Uh, England just about got a win. But uh, I didn't stay up and watch that. Uh, not that it did me much good in my sleep. Right. But uh, I, I guess you didn't watch the rugby. No, I didn't. It wasn't uh, my probably thing. Probably best for an Australian. Uh, moving on. It wasn't, it wasn't pretty. Uh, we are counting down to the Fed's latest rate decision Wednesday with investors now pricing in a 99% chance the central bank will keep rates on hold, according to CME's Fed Watch tool. Uh, the Fed will also release its dot plot. I think this is where the key is, to be fair, with uh, expectations growing that policymakers will not raise uh, rates any further. Really? Who's Whose expectations are those? I think that's uh, possibly wishful thinking, but I'll come to that in a moment. As investors mole when rate cuts could begin. Again, again, there's a lot of wishful thinking going on. They got it wrong in 2023, didn't they? And I wonder if they're going to get it wrong again this year. That is the market, not the Fed. Uh, Goldman Sachs says it expects the Fed to avoid a final rate hike in November, saying it sees improved inflation data and rebalancing, allowing policymakers to keep rates on hold. The bank says it expects the Fed to raise its growth forecast at Wednesday's meeting, but the policymakers will pencil in a November hike when they publish their dot plot to preserve flexibility for the next meeting. That's absolutely key. We'll come back to that. Uh, the Fed is not the only central bank, as Karen mentioned at the wall, making a rate decision this week. What a lovely wall. Well done, team. Uh, who have we got? All kinds of people. Bank of England is expected to deliver its 15th straight hike on Thursday. Investors will also be closely watching the Bank of Japan's meeting. Seriously, I mean, what are the Japanese going to do? Uh, after comments from the governor, Kazuo Ueda, on a potential exit from negative rates. Hmm. 
Uh, not negative real rates, I'm sure. Uh, strengthened the yen. We'll also see the latest decisions from central banks in China, Sweden, Norway, Switzerland and Turkey. Karen, there is so much to unpack. I'll just go through one or two things as well. I, I was looking at that Goldman Sachs preview from Jan Hatzius and the rest of the team over at Goldman's. Uh, and herein lies the issue. They think that they're going to preserve flexibility by keeping in the potential for a November hike this year. To preserve flexibility. I think it might be even firmer than that. Look what also Goldman said in the second paragraph of their copy here. We expect, this is the dot plots, we expect a substantial upward revision. Not to unemployment, which would obviously give the, uh, the Fed a little bit more leeway on their policy actually working, but upward revision to GDP. Listen to this. They think they're going to go from the current expected on the SEP 1.1% to 2.1% and only moderate downward revisions to the unemployment rate, uh, down 0.2 uh, percentage points to 3.9, i.e. Uh, unemployment remains incredibly robust, but growth goes up. And is that going to have ramifications on inflation? But they're also saying core inflation down just a smidgen to 3.5% as well. Now, I think, I think that on itself uh, is absolutely fascinating. So at the moment, uh, the median expectation is 5.6% for year-end rates. Uh, higher. That was what they said in June, and that's higher than the 5.1% in March. So it, there's so many parts to the SEP. I, I would just highlight the, the juxtaposed inflation stroke unemployment stroke uh, GDP, the three key measures within that. Yeah, for me, what's key is that this week is not one where you press snooze. It's not meant to be a live event, right? And typically when that happens, the market the SEP, sort of steps to the outside and just waits. Yeah, I mean, 80 basis points of rate cuts anticipated next year. And if that is uh, an area where the Fed signals that there won't be any cuts to that extent forthcoming because of the higher for longer scenario, I think the market might reprice accordingly. It knows there's an exit in sight. So even though we don't know what the time frame is exactly, there is this uh, carrot that's been dangled in front of investors and as a result they've been willing to go back into some of the tech exposures every time that pathway starts to change. I think the appetite for investors to hang out in the riskier growth areas of the market also gets impacted. So we're watching that closely. It was noted that the VIX, you know, below 14 on Friday, even as the market was selling off. Well, so very on, low the market, levels. The, the VIX rose aggressively on Friday. Yes, but from it, a low level, what, we're oh yeah, it was absolutely, no, you're absolutely <laughs> right. Some of the levels, of, I mean, from a, I think it was 12.78 the previous right. day. So you're absolutely right. It rose, and I think it was up seven percent on the session. But it's still, as you quite rightly say. At, Oh, yeah, I'll go there. I think it's at a complacent level. Yeah, exactly. We're both, I know that's a controversial level, but I would to the say same it's a point. complacent level. It is a complacent level, and that's the problem now as we come up to this meeting for the Fed. Other points in, just how much is already costing Americans at this point? I mean, we keep saying, look, it's not touched the sides enough. You know, we haven't seen enough change of behaviours. We still potentially have heat in the system. But personal interest payments in the States, what, $506 billion in July. First seven months, Americans have paid out. 3.3 trillion in personal expense. This is about up 80% into 2021. That's a huge and amount that of money. It's really interesting because right. we, keep, as you quite rightly say, we keep hearing this line: "Oh, it's only 11% of Americans who have got variable mortgage. Oh, it's only 12% of Americans right. who are affected by this as well." But clearly, the aggregate figure is well. Moving this up is not even including mortgage payments. Wow! So if you add so in this is car loans, this is everything home else, loans, right. et cetera, yeah. bundled in there. And then, we, of course, we've got student loan payments. That's uh, about what 100 presumed, billion yeah. uh, that has been diverted from American.
Americans pocket so that's coming up soon so it's been a, a holiday some reprieve for the the younger members of society not paying out that amount of money so that's coming back into the mix too so I think as we talk about the lag effect some of those pauses are really coming off I'll just go into a little bit more weeds on the SE but we can do this for days but I'll just do one more thing as well core PCE inflation one of the key measures in March the projection was 3.6 uh, for this year. Then it went up in June to 3.9. So uh, again, that's higher than expected previously as well. But it's the 2024 figure for core PCE and the other inflation figures I'm really interested in. At the moment, it looks really benign on the last set of data, i.e. 2.5% for PCE inflation and for core PCE, 2.6% as well. What happens to the market assumptions and the market performance on the back of this if suddenly that gets nudged nearer to three? Yeah. Those cuts that Goldman's was eyeing tentatively and others are eyeing tentatively, but that could disappear for the first half of 2024. Yeah. And then is the market ready for that? Yeah, we question. know the market has been a little bit split on its forecasting, so we'll see what happens at the end of this week on the back of the Fed. Now, ahead of this week's Fed decision, we'll hear from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen later today. Don't miss that interview at 4 p.m. CET. It's a seesaw session for Evergrande after shares plunged 25% earlier in the session before recovering. This after police detained staff at the company's wealth management unit. In a statement, police said that they look, uh, took, quote, criminal compulsory measures against Evergrande's wealth division, general manager and other staff. It did not specify the number of employees detained, nor specific charges against them. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan met with Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi in Malta this weekend. The surprise meeting came as the two sides tried to stabilise relations before a possible summit between US President Joe Biden and his Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping later this year. The White House says the weekend's meeting in part or is part of an ongoing effort to keep lines of communication open. The IMF is set to urge China to boost domestic consumption as well as address concerns in its real estate sector. That's according to the IMF Managing Director Kristalina Gorgieva, who told Reuters she plans to deliver the message in the fund's upcoming review of China's economic policies. Gorgieva says the country should move away from its debt-fueled infrastructure investments towards more growth-oriented domestic solutions. Tao Wang, Head of Asia Economics and Chief China Economist, joins us now from UBS. Tao, thank you very much for joining us. Let me just get into what we're seeing from some of the data points already as we talk about stimulating domestic consumption. There was some appetite back in the retail side as we saw the data across late last week. Also, industrial production starting to pick up. What do you think the numbers suggest in terms of where China sits in terms of momentum from here? Right. August data suggests that uh, the economic activities may be reaching the bottom. We saw some uh, marginal improvement in both retail sales, industry production, as well as in uh, export. So domestically, I think uh, the uh, holiday travel, the, the summer travel was absolutely uh, booming. So that uh, uh, actually supported the retail sales and catering. Uh, and so on and so forth. The only weakness right now in the economy is still on the property side. So property sales and starts continue to decelerate, but still at a much lower uh, or slower uh, pace. The slowdown was a lower pace uh, than before. So that may also be reaching the bottom. So there seem to be signs of um, things to, you know reaching the bottom and signs of uh, improvement at this moment. 
If we address the IMF's uh, ideas, its initiative here to stimulate domestic demand, how did the Chinese do that, given they uh, have seen this prop around the property market taken away, they're trying to deleverage from that area of the economy? How do they stimulate animal spirits with what has been a very significant boost to the uh, spending pattern that you've seen in recent years? Right. It's a, it's a difficult, uh, I guess, task. Um, for the consumers, I think the Chinese government has remained very reluctant to directly stimulate consumption by giving income or consumption subsidy, as in the US, UK, and so on. So, uh, of course, indirectly, they could uh, increase spending on healthcare, then public healthcare and pension system that can help boost confidence uh, of the households. Short of that, I think stabilizing the property sector is also important, given that about 60% or more of household wealth are in property. So if you can stabilize that market, that can also help boost confidence. Um, and of course, in addition to that, the short-term impact of stabilizing property, that means also the labor market and household income can also uh, improve gradually. So I think all of these uh, measures that boosting current uh, activity and also uh, you know, future confidence can help. Um, really good to see you today. And I, I love your piece that you did quite recently, uh, early September, which is the most asked questions. And I'm going to go straight to question number five and then Thank question you. number seven. So the, first, the question number five is, can China muddle through the current debt problem or is this a Minsky moment? And for our viewers who don't know who Minsky was as well, an economist who talked about the onset of a market collapse brought on by reckless speculative activity that defines an unsustainable uh, bullish period. So your question, and I'm sure you have an answer for us, uh, are they going to muddle through or have we a Minsky moment? I think most likely China can still muddle through. Um, and, and in terms of why China is not likely facing a Minsky moment, on asset prices, one of the things of, of a Minsky moment is precipitous decline of asset price and with credit crunch and so on. Uh, the most important asset price in China is property. Uh, the authorities, of course, can help uh, manage the land price and anchor property price, but also household leverage related to mortgage is relatively low. People put down 40-50% of their own equity so you don't have fire sales. Um, most importantly, I think in China, domestic saving is high. Most of debt are held through Chinese banks. Chinese banks are owned by the government. There's a lot of liquidity there. So it's very hard to have a market-driven liquidity prices that, you know, that leads to a, um, a market clearing bankruptcies and large failures and, and so on. So even though the debt is there, there will be MPLs, it will be painful to clean through, but it's unlikely to be that kind of um, uh, sharp deleveraging. Um, and, and my second question is your number seven. I, I, again, I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember the backlash in America in the 1980s, uh, when it appeared that Japan was buying well, virtually everything that was on the block as well. Um, parallels between the decade afterwards, though, really interesting, and the deep malaise that Japan went into and its markets went into uh, thereafter, i.e. having a lost decade as well. Again, I, 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 I gather from your previous answer that you think actually China won't go down the same path as Japan went down. Um, not necessarily. I think China faced a lot of similar challenges of, you know, property downturn that needs to be absorbed and digested, a lot of debt, aging population, external environment that you alluded to that's been uh, more challenging and so on and so, on and so forth. Uh, but I think what set China apart uh, is that China is still a developing country. 
uh, 30 plus years ago, uh, Japan was already at a, a similar level as US. China still can invest to upgrade its production, upgrade its value chain. It doesn't have to do bridge to nowhere. Um, so potential growth is higher. And also China still have a lot of surplus labor to be employed. And so the, the, to quote someone, you know, demographics is not destiny. There's, there's still potential to transfer labor from rural areas. So China's growth will be slow, but I don't think China is going to go to, you know, zero to 1% growth and, and deflation um, necessarily at, at this moment. So there are, there are tools, there are um, policy space uh, for China. And also I think China has gone through massive SOE and bank restructuring 20 odd years ago. Um, and, and hopefully it can also learn from its own lesson and take those actions without, uh, instead of delaying uh, for very long as Japan did um, in the 90s. Can I ask you about the improved sentiment we saw last week? Uh, some of this really driving the commodities market and it spilled across to the FTSE 100 as well. What do you make of the, the level of demand we're seeing from the commodity side at this stage? That's a very good question, because despite the fact that China's property seems to be going through the deepest downturn in history, China's commodity demand is not nearly as weak as uh, uh, reflected in, in property. Um, so on uh, oil demand, of course, it's been quite strong, and that's because China's domestic travel, whether it's air travel or people driving a lot more, has really uh, improved. Um, but also on the base metals, on iron ore and copper and, and so on and so forth, China's demand is pretty solid. Partly, I think, because they rely a bit more on imports. Domestic supply is constrained, but also China is exporting quite a, a bit of steel and steel intensive products such as automobiles and, and so on. So the overall demand of commodity in China is, is not that weak. Um, and, and so the properties downturn, the impact on the commodity hasn't been uh, as big, but of course, going forward, uh, if property cannot stabilize, then further weakness could come. Um, really considered thought, and I really enjoyed chatting to you straight away. I know Karen did as well. So thank you so much indeed for kicking up our first guest thank of the you. week. Superb, brilliant, and a huge topic to discuss. Thank you. Uh, Tao Wang, who thank is you. head of Asia Economics and chief China economist over at UBS. Right, coming up on this show, uh, new CEO, new strategy, it's got a question mark. Uh, we'll look ahead to Societe Generale's Capital Markets Day in London and a first read on Slavomir Krupa's strategic update. Uh, the countdown is on for the next Bank of England rate decision as rising rates put a record squeeze on UK renters. We'll take a health check on the country's property market with Arabile. That's throughout this show. And S4 Capital posts numbers for the first half today after the advertising group cut its annual revenue growth forecast in the summer. We're going to speak to the executive chair, that is Sir Martin Sorrell, 9.15 CET, first on CBC. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts.
Um, closed more than 4% lower on its second day of trade after jumping 8.5% of the open. The closing price of almost $61 is still nearly $10 over its debut figure. The SoftBank is reportedly looking to expand its eight, uh, A1 AI reach, I should say, with the potential <laughs> open AI tie-up in the works. That's according to the Financial Times, which says Masayoshi-san is keen to put tens of billions of dollars into the technology. I, I'll just very briefly make a comment. I, 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 and I thought a lot about this as well, and what Masayoshi-san is going to potentially do if, if that's true. So let's just take a step back. Open AI, AI, chat GPT, et cetera, et cetera, it's bid only at the moment, yeah? It's fair yeah. to say that it's a one-way trade, it's a momentum trade, no matter what you think of the technology, you just get on board and just ride it and just ignore the valuations, because that's what people are doing. Mm. If it was already like that, and now there is news that one of the biggest players in town who led to some of the biggest market spikes, and some of them fell very aggressively afterwards, uh, and on his last buying spree a decade or so ago, What's that going to do to already plumped up valuations? If, if valuations were already crazy, or, or in, the, in, the, in the words of the head of news here, cray-cray, then what happens next to those valuations if we suddenly start realising that Masayoshi-san is going to start just buying stuff left, right and centre? I have to say, I fear the worst in terms of valuations. I think and reality checks. Well, from a different angle, I think the background here is Masayoshi san had missed out on the AI story. And we've been talking about this for a couple of months, that he effectively put so many bets on the table, but nothing really in AI. He's trying to beef up the commentary saying that, look, all these portfolio companies have AI, but none of them are pure play AI Right, you know, right. options at this Spot stage. Yeah. So we know that Masayoshi-san in the background, as he's been getting ready for this IPO, has been talking to the, the founder of OpenAI. So now as we talk about this investment, I think it's a close relationship type of one. He wants to get directly to the source. He's not really in the running as such, where in the past, if you think about all the companies he invested in, had a finger in every pie, which meant if something boomed, then he was already in the sector. He was in three companies in the sector if it was growing. So I think the problem is that he's just not... Uh, at the pivotal point that he should be at, in the AI race. Right. So you wait till something's trading at uh, 57 times uh, P trailing, 25 times sales trailing, up 200% for the year so far, and then you dip your toe. Not so forward thinking on that one as you might have been. Anyway, um, we'll leave that. I think we're moderately on the same page on that one. Um, okay, Instacart will reportedly go public uh, tomorrow after hiking its price. Target as much as uh, $30 a share on the back of ARM's double-digit Thursday uh, surge Thursday. Well, what on earth has Instacart and, and uh, ARM got in common, apart from they're both moderately loosely called tech? Uh, anyway, it's according to Bloomberg, which says Clavio has also hiked its price target ahead of its own listing and will seek a near $9 billion valuation when it prices its offering tomorrow. So one company in one sector has an enormous rally on the back of its potential exposure to a technology in the future. And that means all the others which don't have exposure to that technology primarily also have a rally. It's like Feels ants. like 1999. No, it's like ants. You open the window slightly, one ant goes through and then all the rest follow. It's, uh, you know, you unseal the window yeah. and finally they're there. So this is Instacart, yeah, which, uh, yes, lost net loss, 74 million bucks a year ago. Just happens to have turned in a $242 million profit uh, as it goes to IPO as well. It's a company that was worth $39 billion, is now apparently worth $10 billion as well. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.